I've actually not been here the last two weeks. I've been away on a work trip uh, visiting India and Nepal, which has been amazing to uh, see two very different parts of, of the world and to experience different cultures. And so I'm very happy to be back among church family this morning. I will say from the outset, you will need Bibles this morning. Um, we're going to be going through a couple of uh, passages in John. So yeah, if you've got a Bible near you, then um, please do grab that. We're going to be continuing our series in John. Now, I do have a photo of me here in Nepal, just so you can see. There I am. Happy chappy. Uh, this is at the top of a massive hill looking over Kathmandu. Uh, we saw some amazing things whilst we were there. We were mostly there to try and build healthcare links between the work that's going on here in Bournemouth and at Bournemouth University, where I work, uh, and the countries in, in India and Nepal. And it was amazing to see some of the ways in which our little region is having an impact in, in uh, countries around the world. So I was very proud to be there and to be representing this part of the world. I also ate some amazing food. I'm in the market for a good dal recipe now, so if anybody has one, then please do come find me at the end. Uh, I'm, I'm borderline addicted to dal. Um, but uh, yeah, we had some, some amazing experiences. The other thing actually that, that you know, made me, um, you, you know, it, it, some, some of the areas that we went, some of the levels of poverty were a little bit inescapable actually. And so um, that's also something that I've kind of come back and have been very prayerful about. And it's made me very grateful for the life that we have here, but uh, a very sobering understanding of the way that some people live very different life to the life that we have. And so, yeah, that's what I've been up to the last couple of weeks and very glad, blessed to be back among you today. So we're continuing our series in John and we're at the end of John 4 and the beginning of John 5. That's pages, uh, one, uh, page 1067 if you've got one of these uh, green Bibles here. So stick a finger in that and we'll be coming back to it. And today we're going to be looking at two stories of Jesus bringing physical healing to people. Uh, so the, the, passage, the passages today very much deal with uh, the theology of, spirit, of physical healing. And from the start, I want to acknowledge that this might be a tough subject for some, because I think it can be hard to talk about the subject of healing without thinking about our own circumstances. What if we haven't been healed, or what if we know somebody who's in desperate need of healing and hasn't been healed? Uh, what if we know somebody who's died and never received their healing in this life? These questions seem to follow any discussion when it comes to uh, seeing healing take place in the Bible. So from the outset, I want to be really, really honest with you, because this week has actually been quite a difficult week for me in prepping this sermon. If you've been around Gateway for a little while, then you might know a little bit of my own story. Uh, for a few years now, I've been living with joint pain that I've been, I found to be quite limiting at times. And over the years, I've been prayed for often. And for me, I haven't experienced healing yet. And so prepping a message uh, on a passage of scripture that's all about healing and kind of working through some of how you feel about that personally has been a little bit dif uh, difficult. So it's caused a lot of soul searching this week as I've been prepping. So I hope to share some of that as I open the word today and talk to you. And if you feel like me and actually you are in desperate need of healing and it hasn't happened, then I hope you'll stay with me as we treat these passages with care and learn what God's got to say to us through them. One of the things about traveling to different parts of the world is that you also get exposed to lots of weird and wonderful illnesses when you go out and about as well. And so I did the right thing before going abroad. I went to the doctors and got all the jabs that I was supposed to get, hepe and typhoid and tetanus and all the things that you're supposed to get just to protect myself before going. But there were a couple of jabs that I didn't particularly think that I needed. I was speaking to the doctor and I said, look, I'm going to be in major cities. I'm not really going to be traveling very far outside. And they said, okay, well, you probably won't need anything like dengue fever. You probably won't need anything like rabies. You're going to be absolutely fine. So with that context in mind, I thought, great, I'm, I'm all set, and off I went on my trip. 
we actually got to Nepal, and one of the first things we did when we got to Nepal was we went up into the Himalayas, and, and it was a beautiful part of the world. Uh, but we've, we went to go and visit a hospital there to see how they were dealing with healthcare. And one of the very first things we got told was, oh, we're having a bit of a dengue fever outbreak at the moment, so just watch out for mosquitoes, because if one gets you, you might be in a bit of trouble. Well, cue me, I, I could not use more bug spray if I tried. I was like this, all up my, I was doing it under my arms everywhere, just anywhere that I could think a bug might get. What's that? It's got me. No, it's not. I'm fine. So I was really paranoid about I'm still in my sleep here, mosquitoes, and have a panic about the fact that dengue fever might have followed me home. We then uh, got back into Kathmandu and went for a little bit of a sightseeing trip, and actually up the top of that hill that I showed you uh, is a, a monkey temple. Well, they actually uh, call it the, the monkey temple. And the very first thing that happened when I got there is I got scratched by a wild monkey. I couldn't believe it. Not only was I worried about dengue fever, now I'm worried about rabies as well. Oh, unbelievable. So I say all this to let you know that this week I have been battling uh, two o'clock in the morning, waking up at different points this week. I've convinced myself that I've got both dengue fever and rabies. I'm still not totally unconvinced that I, that I am without either. So go very careful if you're talking to me this morning. Has anybody else had that experience where you've woken up at two o'clock in the morning and thought, I can't feel my lips. Oh my goodness. It's the beginning of the end. What are your lips even supposed to feel like? Ah, Lord, help me. Goodbye, sweet world. <laughs> Emma, tell my kids I love them. Don't remarry. <laughs> hey, that's, yeah, we, we laugh now, but that's been my week, all right? That two o'clock in the morning, I'm stood up right. And then, on top of all that, I'm supposed to come here and preach on healing on Sunday morning. Oh, my goodness. So that is the week that I've had, waking up in the middle of the night in utter panic about all the diseases I may or may not have. Spoiler alert, I'm not dead. So I think, so far, it's okay. I tell you these stories to give you a little bit of an insight as to my week as I've been prepping this. And actually, um, I've had moments where, I've thought, where I genuinely have thought, how can I stand up on a Sunday morning with integrity and come and talk about some of this stuff when actually this is how I've been feeling this week. I'm supposed to come and encourage the church to come and put their trust in Jesus no matter what, and I'm the one panicking at two o'clock in the morning. And with that context, I want to stand here this morning with a bit of humility and encourage you that in all the ways that we can fail in this stuff, Jesus is still sufficient. And that's what I've learned as I've been going through prepping this week. And I also believe that Jesus is about a greater work in our lives than that which we can see. And I hope to share that with you this morning as well. And that's why we actually come and sit under the Word, the word every week. And sometimes I think there's a bit of a fallacy that the, those of us that come up and open up the Bible, we're the ones that have got it all together and we're kind of talking to everyone else. And hopefully I can debunk that myth for you this morning. Actually, I need to come and sit under the Word just as much as anybody else and learn that Jesus is sufficient in all the ways that I'm not, which is why we open the Bible and why we remind ourselves of this week after week. So let me dig into some Bible with you. We're going to do it together, and we're going to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ this morning for me and for you, okay? So we are on page 1067, John chapter 4, starting in verse 43, and I'm going to read for us. After two days, he, being Jesus, left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he'd turned water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. 
Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Keep your finger in there because we're going to keep reading again in a minute. So we find ourselves back in Galilee where Jesus had previously performed miracles. The word had got around that Jesus was back. The one who came among us and did all of these miraculous things, he's back in town. One royal official in particular was, in, uh, was very keen to get to Jesus because he was in need of help. I don't know if you've ever met somebody famous or heard rumor that somebody famous might be near. When I first started my job at Bournemouth University, one of the first things I had to help with was to support the visit of Princess Anne, who came to visit the university. There she is, talking to some students. If I remember correctly, I think my role was actually chief door opener, so a role I was born to play. You can test me at the end if you like. Um, but there was a real buzz about her visit, and it was really interesting to see. Everybody kind of turned up, dressed their best. I was in a nice sharp suit, and people came just to catch glimpse, to catch sight of a royal family member who might be visiting that day. We had to employ crowd management and had security on hand to make sure that nobody got too close. But there was this general buzz about the fact that somebody famous might be here, and we might catch a bit of a glimpse. Here we find Jesus returning to town, and after his last appearance, the miracles that he performed, you can imagine the buzz. The crowd management would have been in full force as people would come to see what this miracle man was going to do this time. But for our royal official here, there was a bit more of a desperation about needing to find Jesus. This miracle maker might provide the last throw of the dice for his sick son. And so he didn't just come to catch sight of Jesus and see what he might do. He came begging. He was in need of help. And I want to pause here and focus on Jesus' first words to the official when he comes begging. Jesus turns around and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And it's here we get our first lesson from Jesus as to how we're approached to, to approach the miraculous in our own lives. Because throughout the gospel, we can see that too much interest in miracles uh, alone is spiritually dangerous. And we never want to be accused of being miracle chasers, the crowd that gathers because Jesus might do something, because that doesn't create the kind of Christian with depth, and it doesn't compel genuine, tested faith. I want to be really clear, at Gateway Church, we absolutely do believe that God works through miracles today, and we've got testimony of it. Jeremiah stood right here and gave you testimony from his own life of how God had performed a miracle of healing. Uh, as Gordon nodded to, Evie Painter got baptized a few weeks ago and got up and shared an incredible testimony of healing in her life as well. It's amazing to see the work that God's doing, even in our kids, to bring about the miraculous. We believe it, we want to see more of it, and I want to encourage you in it, okay? The Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us, and we believe that the power of God is with us in prayer and in life, and we should be more expectant that we see uh, miracles, including healing among us when we meet, okay? That is our baseline. I grew up in a Christian family, and my parents are Christian, and so were my grandparents, and my granddad, we called him Papa. He was a real man of God, and I really loved him, and he was really well known to the churches around here, actually, because we grew up in Parkstone, uh, and some people still ask me if I'm related to Bob Hobby, and it's always my pleasure to say, yeah, you knew my granddad. That's amazing. I'm very proud to say that I am. He was a man of faith, but he was also a man who had his fair share of illness. He actually had cancer four times uh, over the period that I knew him. And the second time that he had cancer, he was given two weeks to live by the doctor, told, go home, get your affairs in order, this might be it for you. 
But two weeks came and went, and that came turned into four and turned into three months and six months and on and on and on. And actually, what we came to, to know to be true is that God miraculously healed him. It was amazing, this amazing testimony of God healing my granddad from cancer. And I'm, I love how that's a part of our family story. And I've seen so many more examples of God healing down the years as well. And I'm so grateful that I've had those experiences where I've been able to see God at work. Like I said, as a church, we should expect that we might see miracles happen when we meet together because we worship a miraculous God. However, we shouldn't let miracles take the place of faith. My granddad didn't believe in God because he was healed. He believed in God because he had a relationship with God rooted inside him. His healing was a blessing to him, but it wasn't the reason that he was a Christian. The fourth time he got cancer, he ended up dying from it. But to his very last breath, he loved and believed in God as his father. And healing or no healing, he was resolute in his identity as a child of God. And so I'm also really thankful for his example to me in that. His healing wasn't the goal. His relationship with God was and actually still really aspire to be like him, how he handled the highs and lows, the challenges of life, and he was unfailing in his faith in God, rooted and established in him. Faith based only on the presence of miracles can lead to a shallow and fickle belief. What happens when we pray for somebody and they aren't healed? Does that mean that God doesn't care? Did we not pray hard enough? Did we not do it the right way? Do we not have enough faith in these moments? Not at all. Our faith must be based on the true knowledge of who Jesus is and who we are in him. Jesus' question here to the official is a test of his true heart. It's like he's saying to him, are you after a magic trick or do you believe that I am who I say I am? God isn't a magic genie in the sky ready to grant our every wish. And when we're thinking about healing, I think this is especially important to understand. That's what we're being told here in this story. The Galileans welcomed Jesus back, not because they wanted him or because they wanted a relationship with God. They didn't want a Messiah who could save them, but a miracle worker who could amaze them. And so Jesus was skeptical. The welcome he receives is more about what he can do for them rather than who he is to them. And that's not what the Christian life is about. So Jesus is skeptical of the desperate man in front of him. Is this man just another miracle hunter? Is he acting out of desperation or does he really know who I am? And to this, we actually see that the man responded in faith, showing that he wasn't quite the same as the rest of his countrymen. One commentator put it this way, the man has faith in Jesus. He believes Jesus when he says his son is healed and proves his faith has feet by setting off back home. In this story, we're to see and understand that miracles are a signpost that point us directly to Jesus as the son of God. And we're not to have faith in the miracle, but in the miracle maker, the one who's sovereign above and over all things. So we see here Jesus, the son of God, sovereign over all, At his word, the boy is healed, and we can have faith that there is power in the name of Jesus. We can have faith that Jesus can heal even today, and how amazing that we got examples from uh, Jeremiah, who led us so well in showing us that that's true. But our faith must be set and rooted in the person of Jesus, who he is, and not what he can do for us. That's so, so important. We're not to be caught in the same trap as the Galileans in hunting for miracles. We need to see the bigger picture. And in order to do that, we need to see who Jesus is and why he does what he does. And we find our answer to that at the end of this story that we're reading. The boy's healed and the family rejoices. But I think the key verse for us here this morning is in verse 53 when it says, So he and his whole household believed. So he and his whole household believed. And it's here that our key to our understanding of healing should come. Because like I said at the beginning, I have my own complicated relationship when it comes to healing. And it's something that I'm personally very hopeful for in my own life. And I know happens because we've got testimony of it happening. 
And so those moments where I feel in pain and I cry out to God, I want to be pain-free, but what about when it doesn't happen? I want to underline here for us all, when we read stories of healing in the Bible and hear testimony of it happening, we can rejoice in a God who heals, who is the defeater of sickness and death. But we also must note that the primary purpose, I believe, actually isn't for physical healing. As we see Jesus' ministry and as we read this story, we're to see that the primary goal of Jesus' ministry isn't necessarily physical health, but spiritual health. Jesus came to earth. His purpose was to come and restore the relationship between God and man to bring about God's kingdom wherever he went. His primary purpose was to heal the relational rift between God and man and to see us restored into right relationship with God now and for eternity with a relationship to look forward to forever. That's what he wants for me and that's what he wants for you, restored relationship. Therefore, when we see Jesus act in bringing healing and miracles in God's kingdom, we're to remember that the primary purpose is of restoring relationship, to bring us back into spiritual health with God. So here we see that the boy's healed, but the result is that the whole household are restored into right relationship with God. The miracle is physical healing, but the goal is restored relationship for that entire household. The testimony of God's faithfulness through a miraculous act means that the whole household will never be able to deny the existence of God or how much he loves them. And that's the goal here, and that's what we're to read in this story. So Jesus calls for us to believe, to believe in him and to look to God and relationship with his father and our father in heaven. That's the goal and that's what God wants for us. God can and absolutely does bring healing and we've heard testimony of it, but not always. And in those moments, I've come to realize that the ultimate goal in this life isn't for my comfort. It's not for me to be without pain. That's not the goal. That's not the reason I turn up to church on a Sunday morning, just on the off chance that I might be healed and be pain-free but it's for me to rest in the closeness of a relationship with God and submit to his purposes for for my life rather than my own purposes for my life. In other words, the goal remains that God wants our spiritual healing. He doesn't want our perfect bodies. He just wants us as we are. So when healing doesn't happen, I've learned to trust that God is about a greater work in my life than that which I can see. He's about a greater work in my life than my physical healing would otherwise bring and and a greater work than what I can understand. God has a better plan for me than my pain-free joints will provide. My goal then isn't to mourn for what could be or to not deny Jesus because my miracle hasn't happened. My faith needs to be rooted in the person of Jesus and my identity in him and the knowledge that he's a good father, no matter how I feel, that he's sovereign and loving and doing a work in my life that's greater than I can see and sometimes understand. Like my granddad who was praising in season and out. When he's healed, he praises. When he's not, he praises. That's what I want to be, rooted and established in a faith in Jesus. Not swayed by how I feel or how much pain I'm in in any given moment, but in the person of Jesus and my identity in him. Acknowledging God as sovereign is also to acknowledge that we aren't. We only see in part, but God sees through the span of eternity. And he's working all things for the good of those who love him. It actually says that in Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's working for our good and healing or no healing, that statement is true. It's biblical. And so if what's good by God's standard isn't my healing, then I have to trust that what God is doing is better than that. Okay? That's the depth of faith that we need to have, a full trust in God no matter what, who's working for our good 
because he loves us and is outworking his plan for us, for our spiritual healing and for a closeness of relationship with him. And that's the important thing. Yeah. It's also really important. I don't want to leave you just without hope. Actually, we've got a great hope because God doesn't leave us hanging. It's also true that 100% of us will experience total and complete healing. But for some of us, that healing won't take place this side of heaven. Revelation 21 verse 4 encourages us, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When we're in right relationship with God, when we're a member of his family, we're promised a pain-free eternity. And so for those of us who don't experience that healing on earth, total and complete healing will come. We've been promised it. And while we wait, our good Father is working in us and through us for our good and for the advancement of his kingdom on earth. And that's what we can have hope in. That's what we can trust in. And that's what our faith should be rooted and established in. As it's Next Gen Sunday and we're celebrating uh, families who are among us and uh, children who are growing and growing into maturity and growing into maturity of faith and relationship with God, it's so encouraging to see that God cares about the salvation of the whole household in this story. That's the goal as we read this story, that the whole household come to believe and have right relationship with God. It's been so good to pray for our children and for our families today. And I want us to keep praying that we'd see salvation among our young people. That the work that God's doing in this church would cause households to come and know him. You know, if we don't go into battle, if we don't contest for the faith of our young people, 50 years from now, Gateway Church won't exist. We need that next generation to come through to be the pillars on which uh, God's kingdom is established in the future. And so on Sundays like this, it's amazing that we can come and celebrate new birth and new life among us, but it's also a reminder for each and every one of us, we need to go into battle in prayer for our families. We want these kids to come up and know Jesus the way that we know Jesus. And that's why we do kids' work at the back there. That's why our kids' workers are so important to us. It's not a glorified babysitting service. It's having them rooted and established in the person of Jesus and having a faith made known to them and real to them personally because God wants relationship with them the same way he wants relationship with us. And we need to fight in prayer for that to happen, okay? Great. So let me keep reading. John 5, starting verse 1. We're now on page 1068. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is a, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time and asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders uh, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walked. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
And it's here we get our second clue as to what these miracles are supposed to show us. The signs and wonders that followed Jesus' ministry were to encourage the people and they're to encourage us that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is. He's the promised Messiah and the one that we're to put our trust in. Here we've got a story where Jesus attends a pool that the locals believe can bring healing, but Jesus shows where the true power lies. He finds a man in need of healing, and while we don't know his exact ailment, we can infer some sort of paralysis. There was an inability to walk. He's told to get up and do just that. Pick up your mat and walk. And we know the healing is complete because not only does the man walk, but that mat gets rolled up, slung over his shoulder, and off he goes. The healed man tells people, he attests to the fact that Jesus is the real deal, that he is who he says he is. Bible scholar Phil Moore says, the early Christians understood that Jesus used miracles as signposts to point to the, the world to the truth of his being the living God. How could they convince the pagan world that Jesus wasn't just another deity for them to cram into what was already a crowded pantheon? They understood it would take a showdown with sickness to convince the world that Jesus was the living God. N.T. Wright puts it this way, it was his remarkable healings almost certainly that won him a hearing. He was not a teacher who healed. He was a prophet of the kingdom, first enacting and then explaining that kingdom. Jesus' goal was to bring about God's kingdom on earth, and healing was a sign of that kingdom coming. Jesus is pointing to the reality of an all-powerful God, more miraculous and more majestic than anything else. And belief through Jesus meant relationship with God. 38 years of waiting by the bubbling waters of a pool hadn't brought healing for this man, but there were, there were, and there was nothing on earth that could have done. But when the kingdom of God breaks in through Jesus, the man's healed in an instant. At the very word of Jesus, 38 years of waiting, and in a moment, healing comes. The world doesn't provide the answer, and the superstitions of the time didn't bring healing, but God does. And I love how Jesus shows something of his character here, that he's a man of compassion who finds those in need and provides healing. We're also to see the role of faith in this story. The man's asked, do you want to get well? The point here is not to amaze, not to perform a magic trick, but to bring the man to a point of faith in the one who does the healing. The man who's been healed here isn't told to stay well, but he's, he's told to stay sin-free. The eternal consequences of sin are far more disastrous and painful than any earthly ailment. And we find a warning here at the end of our passage. Something worse may happen to you, Jesus says, if you keep sinning. There's a reality for us to see here that belief in Jesus brings hope and eternal life, but rejection of Jesus brings death and hell, a fate worse than the pain that this man had experienced. And again, we're to see that the ultimate goal here for this man isn't physical health, but spiritual health. The goal here is for this man to be in right relationship with God. He's not just told to pick up his mat and walk, he's told to stop sinning, be in right relationship with God, enter into the fullness of that relationship. The goal here is for this man to be in relationship with God more than his physical healing. The healing is a sign that points to the greater reality, and this man is being called to a greater identity and a greater relationship with God, and that's what's going on. Now, the man's restored. He's to enter into the fullness of this relationship with God by not sinning. So in our two stories today, an encounter with Jesus, we see, leaves people physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally changed. But the goal is belief in him and the restoration of relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, I wonder if you can think back to your first encounter with Jesus. When's the first time you remember sensing or understanding or seeing Jesus for who he is? 
when you tell people about how you became a Christian? How does that go? What do you say about that first encounter with Jesus and what attracted you to him? How did you come to be in relationship with Jesus? In these, stu- in these stories, we see people encounter Jesus and they're never the same again. And it's true for many of us here too, for those of us who have encountered Jesus. We act differently, don't we? As Christians, we've experienced, we know Jesus to be the Son of God and can share testimony of his goodness in our own lives. Testimony that we've heard even from our young people this morning. If you haven't yet had that experience, if you want to meet Jesus this morning the same way that these people did here in these stories, if you want to find out more about him, then today could be the day that you encounter Jesus for the first time. And I would love to talk to you more about that as well. So as we've read today, an encounter with Jesus changes lives brings healing, and helps whole households into right relationship with God. And as we respond, I'd love to lead us into a fresh encounter with Jesus today as well. might be that you're in need of some healing this morning, and I'd love for us to pray and be expectant that God might come and bring healing to us this morning. We should expect to see it, like I said, when we meet and when we gather, when we pray, there's power in Jesus' name, and we should be expectant that God might heal. So if you specifically want to be prayed for for healing, please do come forward and we'll make some of our uh, life group leaders, perhaps if you want to be available to come pray for people who might want to uh, be prayed for for healing this morning, that'd be great. I also want to pray that we'll encounter Jesus where we're at, whether we're healed or not, that we'd have a fresh sense of our identity and our relationship through Jesus, that we've got a hope in him that's working for our good, that he loves us and he desires a relationship with us and would draw us close, even moments where we're prone to anxiety and worry, even moments where we walk up, wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning panicking about something that might have happened. Actually, we can have Jesus in those moments to come draw us close, healing or no healing. I want to be rooted and established in who I am in Jesus, not what Jesus can do for me, okay? I started this morning with a very honest account of where I'm at this week, so I will be honest when I tell you I'm going to be the first person to come and ask for some healing this morning, all right? I'm going to come and ask for some prayer myself. I want to rest again in knowing that he's sufficient in my life and he's sufficient in my weakness, no matter what, and that I can give my worries to him knowing that he's better than anything that this world has to offer. You'd be welcome to pray for me for that, and I would love to pray for you for that as well. I also urge you to come and speak to us, to come and seek Jesus for the first time and have an encounter with him. Where he went, miracles followed, that we might have confidence that he is who he says he is, and that many of us can attest to the love and identity we found in Jesus. So if you want to meet Jesus for the first time this morning, I encourage you to come and be prayed for too. There's a clear encouragement for you here today, not to be lost in what the world has to offer, but to look to Jesus and to have hope in him. As we come back, we're going to sing a couple of songs now, and it's my prayer that we'd all encounter Jesus as we sing. So let's be brave. Let's ask one another for prayer. Just where we are, you don't have to come forward. You can turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I want an encounter with Jesus now. Will you pray for me? Tell them where you're at and ask them to pray for you that Jesus might meet you afresh right here, right now, wherever you are, and that he would have you rooted and established in the identity that you have in him, not what he can do for you, but who he is for you. That's what I'm going to do. So why don't you join me? Let's stand, shall we? I'll pray for us. We'll get the band to come and lead us in some songs. And then let's be bold and be brave in praying for one another. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the way that you encourage us. Thank you that we can open up the word. We can sit under the word on a morning like this and just have a security and a strength in knowing that we are rooted and established in you. That you are better than anything that this world has to offer. Lord, we don't come to you now because we are after something 
from you. We come now because we just want to be with you, in relationship with you, to enjoy the fullness of it. And so I pray for each and every one of us in this moment, as we sing and as we open our hearts, that we might have a fresh encounter with Jesus. That we might have to our very core, to our very bones, that just sense of being loved and known by the risen King Jesus. That we've got a Father in heaven who loves us, who is working for our good and who is about more than we can see or understand, but is working in each and every one of our lives, healing or no healing, to bring about his purposes. Lord, we want to trust in your sufficiency. We want to trust in your sovereignty that it might not be based on our own understanding, but who we are in you. Help us to see, help us to lift our heads out of our own circumstances to see you for who you truly are, a Father who loves us, that we might relish, enjoy, sit in the goodness of that this morning, that we might have an encounter with Jesus, because an encounter with Jesus, as we've read in John, leaves us changed forever. Oh, come upon us, Lord. Come meet with us where we are now. In your name I pray. Amen.